from Altoona to Gettysburg, Bloomsburg to Countersport, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, are you paying higher electric bills and spending more to fill up your gas tank? The likely answer is yes, and the time has come for Pennsylvania's legislature to adopt a comprehensive energy policy. David Taylor from the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association is joined by Rebecca Euler from the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association and Stephen Bloom of the Commonwealth Foundation for a Capital Watch roundtable discussion. And elected state officials are attempting to cancel free speech at the University of Pittsburgh. Dr. Paul Kengor from the Institute for Faith and Freedom at Grove City College has a Lincoln Radio Journal commentary. I'm Loman Henry, and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to our Capital Watch crew in just a couple of minutes, but first, news headlines from patownhall.com. The race for Pennsylvania's U.S. Senate seat up for election next year is beginning to take shape. Incumbent U.S. Senator Robert P. Casey Jr. announced this past week that he will be seeking a fourth term representing Penn's Woods in the Senate. Casey is already the longest-serving Democratic senator from Pennsylvania, but he will not have a clear path to re-election. State Senator Doug Mastriano, who last year lost his bid to become governor to now-Governor Josh Shapiro, is poised to enter the race for the Republican U.S. Senate nomination. David McCormick, who narrowly lost the U.S. Senate nomination last year to Dr. Mehmet Oz, has been touring the state promoting his new book, Superpower in Peril, He is also a likely candidate for the GOP nod. The U.S. Senate, now almost evenly divided, 51 members vote with the Democratic caucus, 49 with Republicans. The city of Philadelphia is under assault from a growing crime wave, yet the Philadelphia Inquirer reports Sheriff Rochelle Bellell, quote, used money meant to hire deputies for executive raises, end quote. The newspaper reports she tried to double her own salary to $285,000 and otherwise used funds intended to hire more uniformed staff to fund large raises for executives and office workers. Sheriff Bilal is reportedly asking city council for an additional $2 million in funding. Meanwhile, in Allegheny County, which includes the city of Pittsburgh, A wide-open race is underway for the Democratic nomination to replace term-limited county executive Rich Fitzgerald. A recent poll conducted by WESA shows Allegheny County Treasurer John Weinstein with 28 percent of the vote and Pittsburgh City Controller Michael Lamb with 24 percent. A third candidate, State Representative Sarah Inamorato, trails at 17 percent. However, a quarter of the electorate remains undecided. The county trends heavily Democratic, so the winner of the Democrat nomination will enter the general election cycle with a substantial advantage. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. It is the start of the travel season, and rising gas prices are going to join higher electric bills and putting a strain on the family budget. In Harrisburg, there are steps that can be taken to address the state's energy needs. David Taylor from the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, is joined by Rebecca Euler from the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association and Stephen Bloom of the Commonwealth Foundation for a Capital Watch Roundtable discussion. David, 
And welcome once again to Capital Watch, where we keep an eye on what's happening under the Capitol Dome in Harrisburg for you. I'm your host, David Taylor, president and CEO of the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association. With me in the studio, your Capital Watch all-stars from the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association, their president and CEO, Rebecca Euler. Fantastic to be here again, David. So good to be with you, Rebecca, and the vice president of Pennsylvania's foremost free market think tank, the Commonwealth Foundation, Steve Bloom. Steve, great to see you. Thank you, David. Always a pleasure to be here. So, Steve, you had a spectacular op-ed just recently, and uh, I want to focus attention on it to start our conversation today. In every way that matters, energy is life. Energy and the cost of energy drives the cost of everything else. And for many people, paying their utility bills, paying their fuel bills, um, that that takes a significant chunk of their of their personal income. So when energy prices rise, not only does it cause pressure on all other costs, the cost of making goods and delivering things, it also uh, really affects the personal finances of everyday folks. As everyone knows, we've, we've got a new governor in office. Uh, he gave a budget address a couple of months ago, and in it, he talked about energy. He, in fact, he, he said some promising things. Uh, governor Shapiro said specifically that he feels Pennsylvania can be a leader in energy production while still protecting our clean air and pure water. So that compared to the rhetoric that we've heard from the Wolf administration or some on the environmental left, that's reasonable rhetoric. It's, yes. it's, it's, there, there can be a balance. We can, we can have energy and still have clean air and pure water. And it's realistic. So that, that's good to hear. Although he talked to some degree about energy and the environment, he didn't really get into any of the specifics. And really, uh, the, the sum of the editorial you mentioned, it's called Shapiro and Pennsylvania's divided legislature can work together to reduce energy costs. Um, is that that was a real missed opportunity for him. He, he, could, he could seize the day and enact some or propose some reasonable policies, realistic policies that could strike the right balance between protecting the environment, which we all agree needs to of be done, course. but making sure that we're, we're utilizing the, the safe, clean, available energy resources we have here in the Commonwealth. It's still very early in the administration. The governor has lots of time to set policy. Um, I'm sure a lot of those things will be elaborated upon as his various cabinet officers go through the confirmation process and and are able to you know start exercising their duties in an official capacity. Uh, something else that the governor has said that is encouraging is that, you know, that he's in favor of all of the above, which is good, which is mm-hmm. what we, we should should do. Everybody who makes things in the course of making them, those manufacturers consume a large amount of energy. And so, you know, for for us, having abundant, available, um, affordable energy is critical to the success of, of our industry, which, of course, in turn is then critical to the success of, of Pennsylvania workers and communities and, and the tax base and, and, and all of those things. And it's, it's on the minds of the people of Pennsylvania as well. The Commonwealth Foundation, we recently conducted a, a survey and found out that 59 percent of Pennsylvania voters see rising energy costs as the most pressing issue. That's a big deal. That's a big number. Well, sure. And that's a big deal. Energy costs. This, this is what folks are wrestling with and not just Republicans. It's a, it's a bipartisan uh, sentiment. Right. And, and both Republicans and Democrats ranked energy costs as their top concern. Well, and Rebecca, the only way to drive down prices is to increase supply. 
Absolutely. And as uh, you're both talking about energy, I want to make sure that everyone keeps in mind that we also need to consider fuel prices, um, along with electricity and other types of energy, which, as Dave mentioned, um, are important for producing things. But we need uh, trucks to drive um, products between manufacturers, uh, raw materials and Mm -hmm. finished products. Mm -hmm. So um, the the cost of the fuel that goes into those trucks um, also is built into the supply chain and built into the cost the final products. And in Pennsylvania here, and Steve mentions this in his um, op-ed, is uh, the cost of fuel prices in Pennsylvania is very high. And you mentioned that we're about third in the nation for our gas tax, but our our diesel tax, we're number one. We're number one in the nation. We're highest uh, for our diesel tax. It just went up to 78 and a half cents a gallon this year. Um, So if you combine that with the 24 um, cents that we pay in federal fuel taxes, it's over a dollar a gallon um, in taxes for for a, a gallon of decent yeah. diesel right and, now. And, and, and for folks who may not think about it, just because you know they they have you know conventional gasoline powered vehicles like almost everybody does, you know that that diesel fuel in particular is what we need for for the big rigs, for the eighteen wheelers, oh, yeah. for the big trucks, for the machines that really do the work. Right. And uh, there's like a pancaking effect where rising energy prices. It affects everything that uses the energy, so it's the the manufacturer and the transportation, and um, you know, and again, getting to utility bills, the you know, having the lights on at the warehouse, you know, fueling the 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 forklifts that move the packages and all these things. It's like every single step of activity then becomes more expensive because the energy to undertake it becomes more expensive. Yes, we need energy and fuel to make things and move things. That's basically where we are. And we need to make and move things to have an economy. In 2021, um, half, fully half of the cost increase for consumer products was from transportation increase. Wow. So uh, it's transportation is a huge part of that. But it's like you said, um, all of these other parts of, um, of the supply chain and all of the producers, um, you know, that are at various parts of uh, the supply chain have other energy costs as well. And it's, it's painful for, for Pennsylvanians across the board. This is not something that, well, it's only affecting perhaps older folks on fist, fixed incomes or people with economic disadvantages. This is, this is 77% of Pennsylvanians over the past year have indicated in the polling we did that they, their electric bill has risen 77%. So the vast, vast majority of Correct. Pennsylvanians are Correct. feeling it. And those that didn't, I'm not sure where they live because the prices were going up. <laughs> They're in Pennsylvania. <laughs> we know the prices were going up. They probably just hadn't checked their bill lately. Yeah. They probably on, on auto pay it's or auto something. Pay. I guess. That's right. <laughs> but, and, and you look at that, in, in the last two years, from December 2020 to December 2022, electricity bills across Pennsylvania increased an average of 73%. Uh, 73%. Like, that's a huge, yes, fantastically it is. large Damaging number. Yes, it is. The idea of, well, okay, I'll cut back on my miles driven. Well, you can only do so much of that. You still have to get yourself to work. You still have to take the kids to school. Um, You know, I'll dial back on my... You know, electricity usage at my home. It's like, well, what are you going to do? You're going to go. You're going to go dark. Uh, have everybody go to bed at nine and turn everything off. I mean, it's like it's really hard in modern society to live your life without consuming energy. But insofar as that activity is then fueling these bills, and people are having a harder time paying the bills, um, it's a cruelty. And it doesn't need to be that way because you know Pennsylvania is uh, blessed with 
incredible energy resources. We have trillions of cubic feet of recoverable natural gas uh, in the earth underneath the Commonwealth. We have enormous coal reserves. We have opportunities with hydropower from Pennsylvania's mighty rivers. Like there are all kinds of things that we could do, but we don't do them because we can't build out pipeline. We can't get new power plants um, built. We can't build new refineries, which is a real choke point because, um, you know, in the United States of America, the most advanced country in the world, supposedly, that the number of refineries for petroleum and gasoline that have been built in the U.S. since 1977, exactly one. It was built in North Dakota to help with the with processing the, the Bakken shale uh, oil. But at the same time, we've had refineries, you know, die out all over, including the the massive uh, refinery on the east bank of the Schuylkill in South Philadelphia. Like that site had been a refinery going back to before the Civil War. And now that's defunct. It's not going to be replaced. And we've seen this happen over and over across the country. And this is, you know, again, we're by not having enough refining capacity, we're reducing our ability to meet the needs of consumers. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, so the uh, fewer refineries in the Northeast, you're absolutely true about uh, right about that. Uh, they're producing half the diesel that they could have ten- that they were producing ten years ago. So uh, we absolutely have lost a lot of refineries. We had thirteen that were closed during COVID, um, and production fell during twenty uh, percent. And not all of those have reopened. So um, it, it's absolutely true. We've lost a lot of uh, refineries, and we have not beat back that capacity. And that is a real choke point with uh, gasoline and diesel. You're listening to Capital Watch. I'm your host, David Taylor from Pennsylvania Manufacturers. With me, Steve Bloom from Commonwealth Foundation and Rebecca Euler from the Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association. And so, again, to take this whole thing one point further, you know, you have the environmental left pushing for the electrification of Everything um, that they, you know, they want to eliminate, you know, petroleum, they want to just just have everything electrified and then how they'll generate that, you know, we're supposed to not pay too much attention, whether it's, you know, whether it's, you know, windmills or, or you know, hamster wheels or whatever, that this is this is how we're going to power our modern modern society. But the same environmental leftists, the Greens are opposed to building out new transmission lines. Well, I mean, this is just a complete, a complete, like cultural suicide, civilizational suicide that we're going to become dependent. We're going to make ourselves dependent, having electrified everything. But then at the same time, we're not going to modernize the grid. And, and seriously, the grid is just kind of cobbled together uh, over time. It's just been sort of, you know, built upon and built upon. It's really pretty rickety. Um, which is why, you know, we lose power occasionally at home when there are windstorms or lightning storms. I mean, like, this is not as resilient, not nearly as resilient as, as we need it to be just for the amount of energy we're using now. So, okay, we're going to make ourselves massively dependent on electricity at the expense of all other energy sources. And we're also, these these greens are going to oppose building out new transmission lines and all the other physical infrastructure that's necessary to deliver the energy that's going to keep us alive. And the good news, if you want to term it that way, in the polling that we conducted at Commonwealth Foundation, this is scientific polling that we did in Pennsylvania, 
Pennsylvanians have gotten to the point where 55% disapprove President Biden's energy policy, which is actually worse than the 50% who disapprove of the conduct of energy companies. Now, energy huh. companies generally in the public in the public mind are not sure. particularly popular. Sure. Here you have more frustration with the president from the, the citizens of Pennsylvania than with the energy companies themselves, which often get the blame for high bills and so forth. Almost half of Pennsylvanians say no to paying for more green energy development. That, as you talked about, the environmental left, the Greens, with with proposals that are that are simply going to undermine our energy security and not actually benefit the environment, Correct. just make us weaker, and and put us in a in a more economically challenging position. Nearly seventy percent of Pennsylvanians support building more pipelines to transport natural gas to homes and businesses with majorities of Republicans, Democrats, and independents supporting this proposal. So here, again, is an opportunity for the governor and both houses of the legislature to take steps to put Pennsylvania back into the position that we ought to be, which is leading our nation in accessing new, safe, clean, environmentally sound opportunities to utilize the natural gas that's beneath our feet, the coal, uh, the other resources we have here in Pennsylvania that no one else has. And by the way, it's strategically located for where the biggest consumers in our country are Correct. as well. Correct. So here we are poised to be able to to power the entire Northeast and parts of the Midwest from Pennsylvania. Right. And the only reason we can't do that is it's not because it's not practical. It's because the government has stepped in and blocked the, 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 the progress we were making in that direction. Well, and there's been one more uh, impediment towards uh, Pennsylvania uh, energy independence and, and lowering prices for consumers, which is, of course, uh, uh, Governor Tom Wolf's electricity tax via the cartel, the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. And even though um, that has been held in abeyance, it's being fought in the courts, PMA has uh, a friend of the court brief, we are going to win on the merits. But the problem is that while the court is deliberating it this the threat of this new tax is is looming and that the news came just recently that the coal-fired electricity plant in Homer City in Indiana County says that they're going to have to cease operations and so you know again there's nothing wrong with that plant there is nothing wrong with that plant that plant is 100% in compliance with DEP and EPA it's a major employer and and creator of wealth in a poor rural community that really needs it and it's not just the the jobs for the skilled tradespeople who work at that facility it's also that that power plant is a major local taxpayer it is going to annihilate that poor rural school district if that facility is put out of business which again there's no economic reason why that should happen. There are political reasons why this is happening. And so even though Governor Shapiro has said that he's, he's you know, concerned about Reggie and not, not for it, it might not be the best thing, because the administration has not yet withdrawn it, the threat of it is still out there and the threat of it, the impending doom from this new higher tax is going to kill off a power plant, it's going to kill off the jobs, it's going to completely destroy this poor rural community that's done nothing wrong. We're looking at, under Reggie, raising electricity prices by an additional 24 to 36%. That's going to impact the ability of, of everyday citizens in, in Homer City, but across the, across the Commonwealth, to afford 
uh, to heat and to cool their homes and to get from place to place. Like this is a big deal for regular yes. people. Yes. And un- it's unnecessary. And the, the, the polls are speaking loudly and clearly. Pennsylvanians want the governor and the legislature to do something about it. Well, and I know we're almost out of ta- time, but um, it's. I think it's important to note how right you are, Dave, about um, a- about needing more electricity and the fact that we are going to have to find ways to generate more electricity and, and shutting down power plants is not the way to go. And the reason I mention that is because uh, the EPA just this week, the Biden administration announced their intention to go to uh, two thirds of all new vehicles being electric by 2032. <laughs> Oh That's a tenfold increase over current numbers. So um, if we're planning to electrify um, all of our vehicles, um, we're going to have to get that power from somewhere. In fact, if we were to electrify the entire vehicle fleet, it would require a 40% increase in our electricity. Good Lord. So where are we going to get that electricity? I think we need to be thinking about that right yeah, now. No, no doubt about that. Well, it's... You know, again, it just defies common sense when you have a staple of daily life like energy, which is necessary for individuals and families and homes and businesses and, of course, public institutions, schools and hospitals, government buildings to constrict the supply of that energy to drive up costs is just really – it's terribly self-defeating. And and again, we, we take the governor at his word that he wants solutions that include all of the above. And so anyway, that's what we'll be, we'll be looking to, to him and his, his new administration and his new cabinet officers uh, when, they, uh, when they take the levers of, of power. So again, we're, we're down to the end of the show. So much more to say. There's always more to say. But we're, we're grateful to everybody for taking the time to be with us here. Um, and as we part, Steve, where can people go to learn more about you and your group and the things that you do? They can visit CommonwealthFoundation.org. Excellent. Rebecca, where can people go to learn more about you and your group and the stuff that you're doing? The Pennsylvania Motor Truck Association is at pmta.org. Excellent. And as ever, you can find me online at pamanufacturers.org. Um, and uh, at the new uh, revised, uh, revamped, and uh, super cool uh, PMA website, uh, which I think you'll get a kick out of. There are links there to all of our social media and our video archive, all kinds of bells and whistles. So uh, check it out, pamanufacturers.org. And thanks again to Steve and Rebecca. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll catch you next time on Capital Watch. And now Dr. Paul Kanger from the Institute for Faith and Freedom at Grove City College has a Lincoln Radio Journal commentary. I detest cancel culture, especially its ugly spread to speakers on college campuses. Universities ought to be bastions of genuine diversity and the free exchange of ideas. When I was an undergraduate at the University of Pittsburgh in the late 1980s, liberals and conservatives alike were united in supporting one another's right to bring in speakers. Often, the more controversial the speaker, the stronger each camp stood for free speech. Thus, it's quite dismaying to see a fellow University of Pittsburgh alum, somebody who is an elected Pennsylvania state representative, no less, seeking to cancel three speakers invited to the university this semester and, in turn, threaten the university's funding. Unless you think this is unique to Pitt, well, it's obviously not. This is a scourge on campuses nationwide. The Pennsylvania legislator is Democratic State Rep. Latasha Mays. In a statement addressed to Pitt Chancellor Patrick Gallagher during a House Appropriations budget hearing, Mays demanded that the university cancel events featuring speakers critical of transgenderism, 
namely swimmer Riley Gaines, Daily Wire commentator Michael Knowles, and Daily Wire podcaster Cabot Phillips. May says that, quote, all three speakers have crossed the line of free speech over into hate speech, targeting transgender students and the transgender community, unquote. I find most curious May's accusations against Riley Gaines. Gaines's position as a female swimmer is that transgendered athletes, specifically biological males who identify as females, should not be permitted to compete against biological females. Gaines's position is precisely that of tennis legend and feminist icon Martina Navratilova and the official position of the World Athletics Council. And to Gaines, it isn't merely what happens in the water, but in the locker room. Of her own experience, Gaines says, quote, you have someone with male genitalia pulling his pants down, watching you as a female as you undress. I thought surely there would be someone, whether that be a coach or another swimmer or someone within the NCAA, I thought surely someone would stick up for us. That's when I realized it's my duty as a female athlete who experienced this injustice to really use my voice and my platform to advocate for those female athletes who are emotionally blackmailed and gaslit into silence, unquote. I ask, is that statement from Riley Gaines what Representative Mays considers hate speech? A petition by LGBTQ students at the University of Pittsburgh echoes Mays. They said, quote, it is unacceptable and against the values of this university to allow groups under its administration on its behalf to host events featuring individuals who wish to advance a platform of hate and transphobia and make our beloved institution an accomplice to the trending attacks that place trans bodies and humanity in the middle of a culture war fabricated entirely for political gain, unquote. I find the claims of a culture war here being pushed by the political right a little dubious, even though it's a common mantra by the political left. Conservatives would counter that the culture war has already been launched by the left, and conservatives are merely trying to fight back, least of all with an uncensored voice in the debate. There's no dialogue, folks, if only one side is permitted to speak. For the record, the University of Pittsburgh is standing behind the rights of these speakers, saying, quote, these events are being organized by, and the speakers have been invited by, registered student organizations on campus. And student organizations are permitted to invite speakers, including highly provocative ones, to campus without university administration deciding what is acceptable and what is not, unquote. Good for them. Pitch Chancellor Gallagher states, quote, the university is a place of dialogue, and in fact, both constitutional and academic free speech are things that I am obligated to support, unquote. Hallelujah. <laughs> Somebody at the administrative level standing up for free speech at a university. One would hope so. What's worse is that some of these events at the University of Pittsburgh, including the one with Michael Knowles, is a debate. Namely, it's a debate between Knowles and Deirdre McCloskey, a well-known transgendered economist. Good grief, can't we even permit people who want to debate to debate one another? Well, no, not the warriors of cancel culture. This is what their diversity looks like. Too many people shouting for dialogue refuse to practice what they preach. It's an ugly thing to see, especially on our campuses. Well, I'm Paul Kengor. Thanks for listening.
If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program is available on our websites, lincolnradiojournal.com and lincolninstitute.org. For 28 years, Lincoln Radio Journal has been heard on public affairs-minded radio stations throughout the Commonwealth, including WJSA-FM in Jersey Shore, WCCL-FM, and WBHVAM in Johnstown, along with WLSHAM in Lansford, Pennsylvania. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and philanthropic foundations, including the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, and the Houston Foundation of Coatesville, all of whom have helped to underwrite the costs of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry. Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal. Plug into the pulse of Pennsylvania.